0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, plus your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Get into the action today. Head to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. The 2023 season of Penn State football will officially mark the 10th season for James Franklin as head coach of the Alliance. And it got us thinking about the maturation of head coaches and coaches all together at Penn State University. And there's nobody better to talk to about a lot of this stuff than Justin King himself because he's had the opportunity to play for – Joe Paterno uh, obviously wasn't on the team or the staff when Bill O'Brien was there, but has knowledge of the situation and was a part of James Franklin's staff beginning in 2017 and obviously his ties to the team to this day. So I think there's so many things that Penn State football fans look at James Franklin or look at the coaching staff altogether, and it's natural to make comparisons to the past. But this is an opportunity for us to really understand those things. So um, first things first. Your recruitment to Penn State under Joe Paterno, what was that like?
0: Consistent. I mean, I I can sum up the whole process. I would say it was consistent from eighth, ninth grade and just dealing with them and like how they recruited me and what they, the value proposition of Penn State was. It was just consistent. I mean, and, uh, and there was a level of, it was practical as well. Like it wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't something outside of the realms that you could see. It was like, oh, we'll provide this for you, for you to transform into that. I'll give you the opportunity to play both ways. And, you know, it was just different things of that nature. And um, I think having the opportunity of getting recruited by so many different schools, I, I got to see. You know, okay, how does USC recruit? How does Miami recruit? How does Texas recruit? How does Michigan recruit? And just a lot of different personalities. But the consistency over the four years, I think overall sums up my recruiting process with Penn State, which to me, like translated to, okay, it's real (laughs) because it's like you can't keep it up for so long
1: your considerations and i know you and i have spoken on this in the past but early 2000s some thin years for penn state you know even the late 90s mid 90s were fantastic but the late 90s some thin years people are calling for joe to be fired and by the mid 2000s there's some recruiting classes that come in yours included and we've talked about you came in with Derek williams and there was a lot of hype a lot of promise there and then bam 2006 the orange bowl just changed everything. That victory against Florida State and really began this uh, new upward trajectory for the program. Uh, when you were seeing all that stuff as a recruit, did it concern you at all that hey, the team's down a little bit right now, or was there enough information that got to you of like, hey, there's some dudes going into this program you want to be with?
0: Well, I mean, again, I was a I was a football guy, right? I grew up as working in the industry, so like understanding like the talent that was there. So if you remember. They were three and nine in the season, but they had like a top five defense in terms of mm-hmm. yards allowed and all these different things. And you saw the offensive weapons or just what was lacking. And as a young offensive player, it's like, oh, there's an opportunity to play and fill a void to provide value. Understanding that me and Derek were talking about like, hey, there's all these pieces in place. Like I knew growing up in Pittsburgh, I knew who Paul Puzlesney was, right? Like I knew like there were different pieces that were going to Penn State, AQ Shipley's and different people like that. Um, from the years prior. So I'm like, okay, from just a talent acquisition process, I'm like, they're getting good players. I mean, you saw the rumblings or you just go, there's like 110,000 people. So it's like the infrastructure for a prime college football career or like that was like my baseline. of like, okay, this is what college football is. And so like be able to provide value to that and play early was something that was incredibly important to me throughout my recruiting process. And I think Penn State used that to say, like, hey, you can fill this void. Like, we're losing, but, like, you can help us win. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that was, like, a great recruiting pitch as well. Uh,
1: In regards to your interactions with Joe, how many did you have during the recruiting process or was it with other people?
0: It was uh, mainly with Tom Bradley, Scrap. Uh, But, I mean, I saw Joe, like, a couple times a year throughout the process. I mean, whenever I went to Penn State, I would see him. You know what I mean? But... It was, you know, he
1: was he was the head coach. Like, it was a little more hands off at that point. Well, at
0: that point, I got my I got an offer going into my ninth grade year. So, okay.
1: at That's one, point, you know what I
0: mean. So, yeah. at one point, I w- it was just me like evaluating the school. Like, it wasn't. I guess again, consistency. They weren't just hounding me like, "Hey, it's like we want you." Like, I think we have something valuable for you. But it wasn't like we need you. We need you. We need you. They always stayed in a position of power, and I always respected that from Joe. Like, it was never. Like, yeah, we're losing, but I'm still, this is what we got to offer. (laughs) So, and that stayed, I remained consistent.
1: Because with Joe, I've heard stories and spoken to former players that have been recruited by him and played for him that he was very good about he'd recruit your family well before he recruited you. And he always harped on those things in terms of character and personality traits. And I've spoken to enough players that it sounds odd to say that, you know, even once you're on the team, that Joe wasn't necessarily getting in the trenches with certain guys in terms of X's and O's. He was more concerned about the the person and how you were fitting into the team. Were you playing with the team? Were you being a team player? All those aspects. And then it's like the game almost kind of came second. Would you agree with that?
0: Um, there was a level of uh, the infrastructure at Penn State. When we talk about the culture, like the type of rules we had, we had like five major rules, right? Being on time, how – our hair was and different things of that nature but it was um you say get in the trenches yeah he made sure that everybody's like there were certain character traits that were in place right i think toughness was a prerequisite right accountability was a prerequisite like uh prere- i mean accountability professionalism like those were like prerequisites that were baked into the program so I would, I mean, I guess it came into football. Like if that showed up on the football field, he would get in the trenches. Like if someone was being soft, like, or if someone, you know, was just blatantly not taking accountability for what's going on, like he would stop practice, say like, "What's going on?" Da, 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 da. But you know, it's a he had an interesting way of injecting himself, and that was what '05 to '07. So mm-hmm. like he, like for me, my time there, like he was still. Was still active like he was stopped back he was yelling at me like what are you doing justin you can't do that yeah you know i mean like he was still yelling at me
1: <laughs> i mean that's to be expected that's right that's any head coach. <laughs> uh, but obviously playing under tom bradley that had to be a fantastic experience and joe was known for keeping a lot of different assistants, coordinators you know, at all, virtually every level around for a long time and, and that I, I'm not sure exactly what year that really stopped in major college football all around. And obviously that churn, that turnover is consistent. But at Penn State, for some reason, it just hasn't hasn't been the thing. It wasn't the thing under Joe. And I think that's something that people to this day struggle with. I think you you talk to Penn State fans about uh, Joe Moorhead. Everybody and their brothers, are, oh, man, I wish Joe Moorhead was still here. And it's like, that's just not how how the, the the game works, how the coaching world works at the college level. But Joe, it was different. He kept the same guys for a while.
0: Well, you just got to look at contextual evidence of that, right? At that time, like early 2000s, we got to look at like the media rights deals, like how college football was operating at the time, right? And yeah, Joe operated with a lean budget and got a lot of things done and Penn State saw success with, you know, without paying a coach X amount of dollars. And it was like, okay, we're this is how we do it. But that's not how the sport continued to progress, right? Cause I think it started to transition around 07, 08, 2009, 10, when um like the playoffs start to come about and the coaches started making six, seven, eight million dollars. When that happens, it's like, okay, we're not getting into coaching just to mold men and trans transform. Like this is an actual career. Like this is an executive career. You know, like on the low end you're making $200,000 on a top end assistant coach coordinators, you're making $1.4 million. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice gig, right? I mean, that's a CEO of a major corporation.
1: The facilities that Penn State has uh, and had at that time, it's been something James Franklin has talked about a lot in terms of the the nil circumstance and trying to improve that situation at penn state altogether and that yeah, back in the 1980s when Huluba hall was first built it was the first of its kind in terms of having an indoor practice facility it was the first of its kind by the time that you got a chance to see it and nittany apartments and all the amenities offered to the football players what was your perspective on it because at that point it was a little less unique just the indoor facility or just uh, just the overall facilities and amenities that were offered to football players.
0: I thought the you know I mean Penn State's a football school, so I mean when you talk about amenities and different things of that nature, like is like you're in a privileged like class as a football player at Penn State. So there's like a, there's a different type of amenities because like the dorm rooms or the apartments they're not very nice. They just recently got new um, single like you know dorms. Uh, on Penn State's campus for football players and different things of that nature, but we didn't have anything new. It was more so a level of freedom. Uh, and like you say, the amenities of being a Penn State football player. But yeah, I mean, we were before all the different rules that came out, educational rules, different things, unlimited food. So we had limited points and different things of that nature. We had to take food from training table. It, it, was, it was different. Got 33 bucks a month for a per diem. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It it was different. So like the amenities were being a Penn state football player and how to maximize that. But like in that you learned the ecosystem of Penn state and where, you know, where there's value different places. Now that was 20 years ago, but you
1: know, right No, but it's, it's, it's evolved even so much from the years in the eighties when Penn state was winning national titles to when you came around roughly 20 years and there's, there are advances that were made. And even at that point, Maybe you could see it's like, hey, you know, they're they're hanging their hat on something, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. I want to stress that it wasn't a bad thing at the time, and they were contending at a high level when you were there. So, mm-hmm. um, especially during your time there, from a, an X's and O's standpoint, as you perceive the game now, how different was it? What you were doing then at Penn State versus what is being asked of college football players now? Ah, oh, man
0: both ways like from a schematic standpoint and from just being a football player i would say now that their their football schedule looks more like my schedule looked in the nfl like in, in terms of how pregame looks like what meetings are when you're away games just different things of that nature how much time you have to spend leading up to it i can't say even leading up to a game but how much time is actually spent in the building and doing different things that was more reminiscent of the nfl like when we we're in season and active when i was there you know we had a, we had freedom but we were we were all vested so like we were still around and it was it was all obviously hard practice was practices and things of that nature were a lot harder back when I played than they are now. So it was like a give and take like when we went we kind of went a little bit it was a little bit more physical it was longer days a little less science based science backed uh you know workouts or even genetics, how we're doing things with a level of toughness got through, you know, so some of that stuff came out and, you know, football is a, a game where toughness is a prerequisite. I mean, you could say if you like it or not, but it's one of the few physical sports where you get to see like, okay, someone quits on the field. And that's something that from a coach or like a team standpoint, like you're trying to build a whole bunch of people that don't quit. So in that there's just now different ways of doing it. So as a player, I've seen it done one way. And now we put some science back things we have it another way, but now you got to look at the recruiting piece and like who's actually tough, who's actually athletic. So, there's it's a whole bunch of mixtures and pots where you talk about the evaluation process and how things are built from a football standpoint.
1: You and I have talked about it in the past that your recruitment, uh, you know, I'll use the term the red carpet was rolled out, but you had conversations with the president of the university, you were welcomed in with open arms. Obviously, you were a five-star recruit, and there were a lot of things that went into your recruitment. Uh, And I think some things that Penn State fans maybe didn't quite comprehend at the time and that you had every intention of being at Penn State for three years, getting your degree quickly, and going on to the National Football League. And you did exactly that. Um, Penn State fans on the outside had their perception of that. I've met people that have been like, oh, well, he left early, that sort of thing, as if it was a negative. But what was the reception internally in the program, for instance, with Joe, when it was like, hey, I've, I've got my degree, I think I'm going to go.
0: <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, it, it was, it was uh, I mean, Joe wasn't, I can't say he was anti-NFL, but he was like, he was about the transformation in college. Like if there was somebody that was going to approach the amateurism game of football or what amateur sports is supposed to provide you is like a level of education, opportunity, transformation into from boy to man. Like that's what he was about. And obviously if that so happens and football opens up your way for, to professional ranks, like that's it. But so he was like, he was cool about it, but I can't say he was thrilled when i was like when he was calling me for <laughs> the, the
1: corners like i'm out
0: he, well not even next he called me and he was like hey are you coming in for the meeting it was like a team meeting starting like it's like the next day and i'm in air, i'm in scottsdale arizona you know what i mean like it's like ah, i'm not gonna be there i'm, I'm in scottsdale I'm, I'm, like, I'm gonna call it i'm, I'm, I'm done so like that's kind of how we went about it but you know like some other coaches knew they just didn't tell him.
1: i see do you wish that had gone differently
0: um, we were still cool. I mean, I was still good. Like I was, I came back for different things. Like I was mm-hmm. still, you know, it was, I understood what it was. You know, there was a, <laughs> it's a funny instance where I, I wasn't able to use Haluba Hall for an M- NFL workout. <laughs> oh. Had like the, uh yeah, it's a funny story. We had, got denied the Haluba Hall to have like the Atlanta Falcons brass, you know, you know, GM owner come in. And so we were at State College High School outside on a Saturday morning. I was a little pissed off about that back then. But understanding, you know, different things that were going on, it was just like, all right, roll with the punches.
1: (laughs) Well, it's why I say I remember obviously being a fan back then. And to your point about Joe wanting guys to finish out their four years, hell, five years if they got it. Uh, That was very much the perspective of fans at that point, most college football fans. And that's that was college athletics also at the time, college basketball, seniors and senior day, and being able to stay there for a long time was a huge part of those major sports in in college athletics. So it, it was interesting to me at the time. I remember when you did go, and I remember being around people that were like, oh, well, he's going early. And then it's progressed so much that it's like, now we just assume guys are going early. You and I assume Drew Aller, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, Abdul Carter will be here for another two years and no one has a problem with it. And we're still on the back of when people get ticked off about guys uh, opting out of bowl games and hell, opting out of whole seasons. Micah Parsons did that and look how well it worked out for him. And it's funny just that wasn't that long ago. That really evolved quickly.
0: Well, I mean, football is an interesting sport. I mean, it's such a physical sport where it's 100% injury rate. And so, I mean, as someone that comes up in it and their goal is to make it to the NFL, sometimes, I mean, there's a level of being strategic in how you approach it. Not that you shouldn't have a plan of maximizing or getting your degree or staying four years if you have to. But, I mean, in some cases, it's like, okay, what's my quickest way to get money? When you just look at just the NCAA um limitations of being able to make money in college. When you talk about limited, I mean when I was there, it was like limited amenities from a money making standpoint, even though everyone's making money around you. And, and let's be honest, not many football players are individually super valuable. But when you just talk about time and just investment into your body, there's a there's a cost for that. So if you're not maximizing what's provided for you in that sense, I mean it's almost like a it's almost it's almost like you're getting grind it up and chewed out if you don't take advantage of those different opportunities. So, I mean, it's, it's imperative to have a plan going through. So like I always encourage certain recruits, like if you're a certain skill level, like you do need to hurry up, get into college, show what you need to do and get out. And regardless of what it is. Yeah. If you stay four years, you might have a maximum thing. And that's why people say, make sure you get your your most money, your first contract. That's definitely a thought process. It's just such a small window where it's like, well, if you can get in there and get into the league and you have a certain infrastructure where your staying power is there, right? Like, yeah, you might not make as much money, but like staying in the NFL, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but not everyone's a top 15 pick. Most people that played in the league, most times are like free agents and different things of that nature. So understanding the core basis of that to get to the NFL as, as quick as possible and make a career out of it and be able to transition and use that as a launching point. That's kind of how you have to use the game so can't look at football players that look at the college game as a, a skipping stone to jump to the nfl is a, a bad thing it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a mutual beneficial relationship right mm-hmm. like if you provide value to the school we provide value to them to set them up for the rest of their life if, the, if professionals are part of it professional football is a part of it great if it's not you should have a core foundation to be a successful person in uh,
1: society. Are you a fan of rivalries? Are you a fan of smack talk? Do you like to stand out from the crowd at tailgates? If so, check out Smack Apparel and see what their team has geared up for football season. Their Let There Be White tee is the perfect gear for all those famous whiteout games at Beaver Stadium. Or get straight to the point with the worst tee for all the Ohio State haters out there. Smack Apparel has the must-have tees for all your teams, including pro and college football, plus basketball, baseball, every fan is covered. Head over to SmackApparel.com and use the pro. Promo code STATE10, that's S T A T E 10 at checkout for 10% off. Again, that's smackapparel.com, promo code STATE10 at checkout. Why we're boring when you can wear smack. Are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care? Then Maestro's Classic is perfect for you. Maestro's has beard washes, beard oils, beard butters, plus hair gels and pomades. It's one brand for every man. Visit maestrosclassic.com. That's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com. And use our promo code STATE. 20 that's s t a t e 20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Maestro's classic crafting a better you. At the end of the day it's a business and for the record you made the right decision. Period. So <laughs> I'll say that. Um so obviously you get drafted in 2008. You're in the league through roughly 2013. So uh, you were not uh, you know, privy to being a part of Bill O'Brien's team or part of his staff, anything of that nature. But you did obviously interact with people that were on the staff, players on the team, and had your own perception of how things went. Obviously, this was a heartbreaking time for Penn State fans. You have the Sandusky scandal. You have the, uh, the passing of Joe Paterno in 2011, some extraordinarily difficult years. And then you add on top of that the sanctions that James Franklin would inherit and Bill O'Brien inherited. Uh, what was your perspective of the Bill O'Brien era?
0: I mean, one it's a underrated era. I mean, it was, he did a great job as a head coach, especially coming from like an NFL background and jumping into college football because it's such a fundamentally different space, right? Like in the NFL, when you say it's a business, people say that. And it's like, just the first thing that rolls off your mouth is a business because you see grown men making millions of dollars. But it's, it's, it's the epitome of a cutthroat business, right? Like it's, it is different. And so, de- so transitioning to that, to dealing with 14, 15, 16 year olds that you got to recruit to come to a school like Penn State on the backs of a Sandusky sandal on the backs of a paternal legacy that was 50, 60 years running prior that was based on, you know, some level of um,
1: success, you with know, honor.
0: success with honor, right? And so like to step in that role and fill it in with, you know, limited scholarships and players, I think he did an amazing job but at the same time what the school was probably used to from like an amateurism standpoint was probably completely different than what bill o'brien stepped in and injected right and so we've probably seen some of it with some stuff like christian hackenberg you talk about the transition from him coming into a james franklin back to more of a traditional college coach right and it's, you see that with college transitions and trans- turnovers but it was new for some a place specifically like penn
1: state Why are some coaches better geared for the college game than the professional game?
0: I mean, there's so many aspects that you have to touch as a head coach from a college perspective when you're talking about academics, living quarters, you're recruiting, you're dealing with staff turnover. There's so many roles with the NCAA. um, And I, I mean, there's just so many different avenues, and you're dealing, and you're also selling a level of development of a full like of a man. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not always indicative of what's happening in the football building. And so to have that level of like a curated talent acquisition, talent development and talent deploy talent deployment in your program. I mean, you need a dynamic person that knows how to put people things in place in the NFL to be successful X's and O's wins lead men and have people ready to play from a strategic standpoint. It's it's more about maximizing the game. Like a head coach doesn't have to think about anything outside of the building to an extent, right? Besides dealing with their owner or their boss and making sure that things are tied tight there. But their focus is winning. And so is a college football coach. But if you saw five Penn State players get pulled over, like they're going to be bringing up the head coach and he Mm. might not be there. If that happens in football, it's more about the NFL, not exactly that head coach of that team. You know what I mean? So it's just a whole, it's just a completely different dynamic of who you're dealing with. And the college coach is operating in this amateurism space where guys are student athletes.
1: Mm, Was. (laughs) They were operating (laughs) in that space. Yeah, it's changed a lot. One thing that changed significantly under Bill O'Brien to me as a broadcaster and a fan the offense was unrecognizable and that that was a good thing in my opinion because there's nothing against and it's so funny how last season went is that everybody was like we got great running backs we have a good offensive line you know the passing game was inconsistent at times let's run the football and every Penn State fan was ecstatic last year to see uh that full house backfield the wing tee whatever you whatever formation it is they were doing. Multiple tight ends back there, multiple running backs back there. It was a throwback. And it was, it harkened back to Joe Paterno's era because that was very much the offense under you know most years was line up, run the football, play action, pass. It, it wasn't terribly exotic. And then you get Bill O'Brien in there coming from the New England Patriots and working with Tom Brady. And Christian Hackenberg is the first quarterback that they recruit and really roll out. And man, it just looked Totally different. When you were watching from afar, you like, is that Penn State? Uh,
0: I mean, to an extent, but like, at at the same time, I'm a I'm a fan of. I always think people have to adjust to like their personnel, and like I just think that that's what was happening. Like just seeing a new coach come in, like me, just being like seeing football teams being built from a coaching and putting things in place. From that standpoint, I assume that he's going to make it look like more of a pro style. New England offense that he's run, right? And he kind of put those pieces in place. It just so happens that Penn State was built on something similar.
1: And then especially some of the players that he got in, you know, the, one of those first real big significant moments that I can remember is Hackenberg to Allen Robinson against Michigan. And again, a challenging year in 2013 overall, but you have these little glimmers here and there that it's funny because James Franklin just sat down with our friend Adam Brenneman for a podcast, and he was talking about how everybody assumed that when the sanctions got handed down, that the program was going to be dead in the water and that basically it would take them 10, 15, maybe 20 years to get back to their the, the height of their power and even contending for Big Ten championships or national championships. And not to say that that happened immediately in that 2013 season, but still, there were those glimmers that it's like, Hey, they might be okay. They might they might come out of this. And I think that was a real shock, as quickly as it happened. Uh, and and you were friendly with people on the staff and on the team. What what was the feeling like?
0: So you saying when James Franklin first got there?
1: No, that that 2013 season, especially gotcha. for Bill O'Brien.
0: Gotcha. I mean, I was pretty distant from the team at that point. At that point, I was just so marveling at the fact of the like the coaching exhibition that we were seeing put together. I was just kind of curious about that because there were just some fundamentally different things that he probably did as a NFL coach that, you know, that Penn state, the Penn state ecosystem wasn't ready for, but he was still having success. So from my standpoint, I was just more so focused on that.
1: Hmm. Uh, So the one thing that you obviously were very aware of because you joined staff in 2017 is the arrival of James Franklin and spent time in the SEC with the Vanderbilt Commodores had some success there Uh, gets there in 2014 and inherits all these sanctions, lack of scholarships. It it just seemed very, very bleak and a very short amount of time that glimmer of hope that we saw in 2013 turned into a big 10 title in 2016. You joined the team uh, as a, What was your role exactly? Forgive me.
0: Uh, I started off as a recruiting recruiting coordinator. Recruiting recruiting coordinator. Yep.
1: Um, You joined as a recruiting coordinator in 2017. Uh, Did anybody see that amount of success coming that quickly?
0: Uh, I mean, when I got there, they had one. When I got there, they won the Big Ten. They were coming off of a Big Ten championship. So there was a level of them knowing that they were they were a successful team like they were building something special but at the time they knew that there was a lack of depth across all positions right like they were winning they were they were maximizing their 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 roster and to continue to compete you had to elevate your talent acquisition but at the same time you know you had guys like saquon barkley marcus allen that were still coming up through the ranks and continue to build upon that. So like understanding, like when I got there, you know, Micah Parsons was being recruited. Uh, Like Adisa Isaac was like being, well, he wasn't being recruited yet. I take that back. Like Jason Owe, he was another main person. Sean Clifford was coming in. Like all those guys were starting to come in. He was building in his, like getting his, his talent ready. James Franklin, because he was still dealing with a lot of, there were still players that were recruited from Bill O'Brien. So like as, we talked about that talent acquisition process. That is the head coach's philosophy, their culture, their personality, like the recruiting based on what they want in their program. And it's they're the chef. They different chefs want different ingredients, right? And so like he was this was like his first group of guys that were coming in that he was able to evaluate from a talent standpoint, had the same type of culture that he wanted to fit into and from a competitive environment. Like so starting to bring those guys in just knew that you had to build that depth out. So at, when I got there, there was a level of like having, creating hard lines of like, okay, we were successful. We were successful with this level of player at this point, but we have to be successful with the, like a whole bunch of these players, right? Because mm. when you play Ohio State, they have a whole bunch of these players and they don't mm. have to be, they don't have to perform at a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that gets kind of hard when you,
1: Of a guy that's an A versus 100% of a guy that's a B. It's
0: the reality of the situation. Like they have, he's been like James, I give him credit. He's probably one of the best um, coaches when it comes to putting a staff together and continuously putting dynamic coaches that have different backgrounds that can deal with the X's and O's and create an environment that's extremely competitive, right? and to be able to get the players. So like the actually development of a program, I don't think many people understand how great of a job they do in terms of developing the talent that they, that they get like what he did at Vanderbilt was extremely impressive. If you understand the talent that they were dealing with. Right. And even the talent that they won a big 10 championship with, I think if you understand football, if you like get into the weeds of what they were doing, like, okay, if you give him this level of talent, like just should, they should be cooking with gas. Right. And so, like, now that he's getting to that point and you build that on top of years, that's the depth, that's the development. And then when you get that, you got to, well, now we're in 2023. We're talking what we're talking.
1: Franklin continues to talk about nowadays that this is maybe, if not the deepest team that he's had. At Penn State, he talks about that proverbial too deep, that depth chart, and he's very, very happy with that. It sounds like at this point, always striving for more, which is great. Do you think if the pandemic had not occurred that the team that we think could be fielded this year might have been fielded earlier?
0: Yes. The season that Michael Parsons sat out was probably a missed opportunity. We think of like what happened with him, Journey Brown and just different things kind of just freakishly that happened in that era. That team was primed and ready for, you know, for to make a run. I mean, cause there was a lot of talent in that bunch. We were like in a, a three year, sickler cycle, you want to get down to a two, one year to where it's like, all right, it's not really a rebuild. We're trying to just see if our five-star quarterback, number one quarterback can play. Like those are the question marks you want to have as a top, championship level football team like mm-hmm. can the number one quarterback in the country play and support what these these pieces around him
1: man i, I you just mentioned the name journey brown what could have been just a, such an unfortunate situation with his health and he forced to retire at such a young age but i remember that um god what was it the capital one bowl against uh memphis in dallas or was it the, i forget the name of the yeah. bowl exactly But man, he, yeah, he just, he was electric at times. And then we were talking Uh, about Micah, thank you you very much. Uh, We were talking about Micah, in my opinion, Micah a thousand percent made the right decision. Uh, Obviously look at how his pro career has played out very quickly, Uh, but still knowing what we know now about how bad things got in the pandemic, not just for Penn State, but for programs all over the country. He clearly made the right decision, but man, you mentioned Journey Brown. I mean, had he kept going, either with Penn State or into the National Football League, we were just talking last week about Singleton Allen and, and Saquon and Miles Sanders, and how Journey was kind of on the heels of that era. And man, he could have followed up so nicely. What did you think about Journey?
0: I mean, he's a he's a four two run. He's a two hundred and ten pounds four two running back. Like I don't I don't know what the. I mean, he's a, a better person. Right? Like, even on top of that, like he was somebody that fit into the culture of Penn State and seeing him develop. Like, he wasn't a five star guy, like, Saquon wasn't a five star guy. These guys developed in the program, like, and they were they had traits. Like, he was state champion, Pennsylvania, uh, um, 100 meter record holder, right? And we were competing with some smaller schools. I mean, there, there were some traits that he had, and he developed into kind of what we saw so like that was just a level of seeing a trait being developed into a football player and like and so like me being seeing journey Brown's journey brown's progression I was a fan just from the, the just the journey like that's where I become a fan of a lot of these guys because like they turn from one thing to something else that no one else a finished product that people will fall in love with and it's just like I mean kind of always had it on but he he built up to this like he stayed the course he stayed continue to develop. So to see him ha- ha- have that happen when there's like a, a heart condition um, in his career, I mean, it breaks your heart, but I was always a fan just based on just seeing his progression to what he could be. Uh,
1: 2020 and 2021, James Franklin's record was exactly 500 and I'll raise my hand and say that I definitely during those times was not happy with it and was one of the many that wasn't necessarily Uh, thrilled with how the team was performing, and also a lot of things have been talked about, his contract extension that he got recently. And I I think there's a lot of things that I've learned in talking to you over the last handful of months and the time that we've known each other is that there's a lot of things that the outside world has perceived, and I think there's a lot of things the outside world looks at James Franklin and he can be polarizing at times. But what he's had to deal with, and it kind of comes back to the conversation we were having about facilities trying to improve things for the sake of NIL is that I think James Franklin inherited more of a project than even Bill O'Brien did. And it's, it's really difficult because he kind of, he had to push so many things through this university and you see all the developments that are happening now in regards to NIL Beaver stadium being renovated, Huluba hall, lash building, the apartments is on deck from what I understand. So it's just all these little things added up. And the outside world just didn't comprehend it. How did you interpret all these things that he was dealing with uh, internally?
0: Bill O'Brien put a, he had a deal. He was, he was the bandaid and James is a surgeon. That's how I looked at it. Like when you look at what he had to do in terms of from the administration standpoint, understanding the fans, like I don't think anyone understands the dynamic. Like there's a, there's a racial dynamic in it, right? Like he's a he's a black he's one of the few black head coaches in prof in college professional football in college, in, <laughs> in, in <major> college
1: football <laughs> in
0: major college football. You know what I mean? So like that dynamic comes into it. And then when we talk about this the, the the relation of Penn State where it fits and just Bill Brown was a small speck of that. So the majority of the Penn State ecosystem still thinks of what was built 60 years prior and like the Paterno era and that era and. Where we're at right now with Penn State is completely, completely different. So when I say he's doing surgery, putting all the different pieces together, like still trying to win with some level of success with honor, having the hybrid model of being this is a place where you can come play three years, make money, playing the NIL game, understanding the dynamics, trying to compete with Ohio State, Michigan, when you want to win a national championship, when you got to like you're you're. i'll I'll say it you're underpaid as a head coach and everyone thinks that you're overpaid but like everything that under happens in the dynamic of penn state like he's putting alignment in it and so kudos to pat craft coming into the door getting alignment there with the new the new president all these different things but that's the type of thing that's the type of alignment that you need to have from a football standpoint a, a, a community standpoint and an administration standpoint to make it work out but like yeah. He's dealing with a completely different animal than Bill O'Brien was dealing with. Like, so I don't even compare him. Like he put it on a beautiful bandaid, like I, I, I kudos, mm-hmm. but like what James has been able to do since he's been here, I think has been understated by the Penn state community. Like to be, if I'm being honest, like they're spoiled from my eyes, like they don't understand what it, like football coaches actually look like across the country and how, things have progressed or what he was able to maximize with what, what, maximize the talent that he's had coaches, the movement, like the progression, like across the board as a program, they're just kind of oblivious to it.
1: You use the word alignment and that's something James Franklin uh, talks about consistently nowadays. And I forget when exactly it was, and it was probably around the time the Pat craft came in and, you know, Sandy Barber had left. And then you had Dr. Bendapudi installed as president pat Kraft comes in and i remember james franklin i think it was probably last summer was talking about some of the struggles with nil that penn state was having and he was like we finally have alignment in that respect and that you have you know from top down in the order that should be president ad and football coach uh, at least in regards to his role and in his own words in the past that was flipped and that's because joe paterno loomed large over this university rightfully so but the alignment was not as it typically is at most universities and the passing of joe and then the arrival of bill o'brien seemed like this call it window of opportunity for the university to be oh we can realign all of this and somewhere in that tinkering things got thrown off and then only recently corrected and the fact that that happened over a 10-year span shows you just how difficult it is to progress in this, I'll call it, business.
0: I, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, there's so many different personalities. You have, you're dealing with ego, you're dealing with money, you're dealing with personalities. It's, it, it's, it's akin to politics. When you get into the, the inner workings of university administration, coaching politics, where the money's coming from, and board seats, all these different things, like it's, it's similar to, to politics. So like, how long does it take to align like we've been i'll have to get deep but like as a country how we're not aligned how long does that take you know what i mean so like to think of a football organization where that's like all these different personalities coming together to try to work together to have a similar pursuit which we would think let's all try to win a national championship but everyone's goals or values in that sphere are completely different like what does it take to win a national championship is what it kind of comes down to like what do you believe it really Like, what does that look like? What are you willing to do? Like, and everybody, if they're not willing to go to the same fourth notch on the belt, I mean, that's not alignment. (laughs) Even if you, we can all say, hey, I want to win a national championship. Like, that's easy. That's where a lot of misalignment happens is where Mm -hmm. we're not honest about where we really stand. And I think getting people that really feel the way that they feel and like are walking out what they're saying that they want to do. I think that's where the true alignment happens. And I think we're seeing that starting to happen at Penn State. With everything brewing from the talent acquisition process, the inner workings, like that's when you can make special things happen. And it's not, not the first university to to kind of go through this. Like if you study different areas of the country where people have won or successful university, successful programs that are built to win, there's alignment and consistency.
1: I, I think it's a fascinating subject. It's fascinating to me to take the, the macro perspective, uh, from Paterno to O'Brien to Franklin. I, I personally look forward on uh, look forward to how history is going to treat all of these when we're, you know, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the line and really be able to process all of this. They're all such different phases and eras, but the one word that does come to mind is consistent. And I think that's steady, constant goal of progress has got us to where we are now. And and I hope Penn state fans appreciate it. I know there's times I've been outspoken and not fully appreciated it. And I know getting to know you has really helped me understand just how complicated all this is. And even still we're on the outside looking in and we're just trying to comprehend all this stuff. So um, there's just so much to dive into. I'm really fascinated to hear what uh, you guys are listeners and viewers think about this. Uh, what jumps out to you is some critical moments here and there that you know molded this process things that are still being worked on, things that have done really well, successes, et cetera. So hop in the comment section and uh, yeah, thank you for joining us as always. We appreciate it. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by BetOnline.